and welcome back to another episode of Deets with Dita. I'm your host Nandita and gosh it's been a minute right? <laughs> I feel like before the episode really and truly starts um, I'd give just a little bit of an update of where I've been, what's been happening, just to you know give you guys a little bit of insight because I want to be open and frank considering I have not released an episode for I think over six months which is and like not given an update about it which is kind of inexcusable so let's just get into that if uh, you are new though hello because I think a lot of you will be new um, considering as I said it's been over six months since um, actually releasing these in some form of regularity um, but hello I'm Nandita and this is a podcast where I talk about all my opinions to do with the film industry so whether it be looking at specific franchises, whether it be looking at the Oscars, um, perhaps, or just themes and topics like the one that I'm going to be covering today, if you can <laughs> see by the title. Um, so yeah, it's very much, a, basically, the way I like to describe it to people is a person who is learning about film with you guys. So I approach it as if you don't really know too much about film, this is a podcast that's kind of accessible to to people who don't really know as much as they would want to and they want to learn more. Having said that, people who do know a lot about cinema already can also relate to this podcast as well, I feel, by hearing a different opinion from, you know, a young female's opinion on just films in general. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoy and if you want to skip this bit um, I will think I'll leave a time code for when I actually start talking about and introducing this week's episode. But for those of you actually curious I was um, I had a lot of uni work going on um, and that was essentially the reason why I couldn't really upload as much as I wanted to um, and yeah I just you know it gets on top of you and I didn't want to release an episode I wasn't proud of, so I decided that's I'm going to sit this for a second, breathe, actually do my second year of uni, um, given all of the things that were thrown at me at my second year of uni, um, and then give it a go back again in the summer, which is exactly what I'm going to do, and I have a plan going forward, uh, which I wanted to share with you guys, because obviously you guys are the ones that listen, so... I want to hear your guys' opinion on it, so if you do have any opinions on what I'm about to say, definitely let me know on my socials, Dita on Instagram and Twitter. So, here goes, right. So, what do I want the future of this podcast to be? So for now, I'm thinking, let's do bi-weekly episodes um, throughout the summer, and this is because I kind of want to change the format in which I do the podcast episodes. I want to move away from more review-based stuff, and I want to do more episodes like this, more topic-y-based, researchy-based, um, kind of think pieces almost, uh, where I can actually talk extensively, and it requires a bit of research, and it doesn't require too much thinking about review-based stuff. Um, because, hopefully, fingers crossed, I will move to doing from bi-weekly to monthly episodes so that I can then support doing a YouTube channel. Exciting stuff. Um, which I said I would do in my, uh, like, from my second, my first to second year, and we've already passed the second year, um, anniversary of the podcast, but this is something I am 
determined to do this time around um, and we will definitely kickstart it and I want it to be more short form reviews um, like the stuff I would do for example like a a Marvel episode where I would talk about like a the latest Marvel film that's just come out um, but instead of doing an entire episode which has to fill like an hour and a half of content condense that down into 30 to 20 20 to 30 concise minutes I guess of uh, a very great and informative review that I'm proud of instead of maybe waffling for an hour and a half about it um, so let me know what you guys think of that and I can also do a lot more experimental videos like you know um, I was thinking of maybe doing um, and I watched a film at 6am, no, at 5am every single day for a month and do like a whole piece on that. So um, let me know what you guys think. I think this is what I want to do for the future of the pod uh, podcast and potentially future of YouTube. Um, but you guys obviously are the people that I'm doing it for. So I want to know what you guys think. What do you, wh what do you think? And do you think this is something you'd be interested in and something that you would actually watch? So do let me know. Now, thank you for being patient with me, all of you long-time listeners. And thank you for um, joining if you're a new-time listener, which is great, you know. It's always nice to see some new faces or... I can't see you, but you, you get what I mean. But um, yes, thank you. And I will now stop talking about this and actually get on with the episode. For starters, this is the 50th episode of the podcast. This is great. Um, I feel like this is the start as well of a new chapter for the Deets with Dieter podcast, which is great. Um, and I'm starting off with quite an interesting topic, I feel. Kind of clickbaity, so apologise. Um, <laughs> but is cinema dying? What do I mean by that? Why does that sound so scary? Nadita, is cinema really dying? Please tell me. <laughs> I hear all your concerns and queries. But... It is essentially just talking about the Martin Scorsese debate. And if you guys don't know what the Martin Scorsese debate is, I'll give you a little bit of an introduction of the timeline of how long this has been happening for and why I'm talking about it now. Because, you know, like, <laughs> I realised that it happened a couple of years ago, but there is relevance, I promise, of why I'm talking about it now. Then I'll talk about some of my opinions on it and some of the things I researched to contribute to the debate and then give you my overall view of what I what I feel overall about his statements in general. All right, so let's get started. So, what is the Martin Scorsese debate? Right, so for those of you who don't know, Martin Scorsese is an acclaimed director. Um, he has done films like The Wolf of Wall Street, The Irishman, um, and he is well regarded and well respected um, amongst the, the, I guess, the film world or the cinematic world, so to speak. And during his release of The Irishman, uh, which went straight to, to Netflix, um, which was an interesting move for someone like Martin Scorsese to begin with, um, The Empire Magazine, which is a UK-based magazine, absolutely love them, you guys are amazing, um, sat down and had an interview with um, Martin Scorsese. And this was in 2019, so around the release of The Irishman. And it sparked a lot of controversy with a specific quote that he said about Marvel films. Um, yes, this, is, this, this, this episode is a sneaky like segue into me talking about Marvel films once again, but it's fine. We're, we're gonna, bear with me because it won't just be about Marvel films. Okay, 
So the quote reads, I tried, you know, but that's not cinema. Honestly, the closest I can think of them, um, as well made as they are, with actors doing the best that they can under the circumstances, is theme parks. So basically, you have Martin Scorsese, super, super acclaimed director, calling Marvel films theme parks, saying that they lack emotional and psychological experiences. There's a lot to unpack with that already, but I'm going to save like my dissection of the quotes till like, let's say after, uh, when, I'm, when I'm talking more specifically about certain points and certain, um, I guess, topics. So that's, that's the general stick. That was like this, that was a small segment of this big like article that the Empire did just basically sitting down and talking with him and talking about his, his craft. But loads of people, and by people I mean Marvel fans, um, fixated on those lines and they spiralled it out of control like Martin Scorsese doesn't like Marvel films, you know, oh what does he know, blah blah blah, who does he think he is, all this kind of stuff. Um, maybe even using the pretentious word, uh, calling it a bit snobby to look down on, um, uh, on Marvel films like that. Um, so, <laughs> because of this, Martin Scorsese had to, a couple of weeks later or a few days or whatnot, he wrote an article for the New York Times, an opinion piece entitled, I said Marvel movies aren't cinema, let me explain, which felt very much like damage control. Um, which, I mean, fair, the, the fandom that you really don't want to, there are, there are a couple of fandoms you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to anger. You don't want to anger the Taylor Swift fandom, you don't want to anger the K-pop stands, and you don't want to anger Marvel fans. Those are those are the trifecta. That's the trifecta of fans that you just you shouldn't you just shouldn't mess with. And if you do, be prepared for like full out war. Uh, if you don't have like solid baseline opinions on it. All right. Um, and that's what I'm going to be talking about in this episode. I'm going to be going through that piece um, and essentially dissecting it, looking at some quotes. What I think about some of the things that he said, do I agree, do I disagree? Um, and pretty much just having a, a good old journey about it. So if you do want to have a look at the article yourself, have a read of it, um, I will leave links in the description um, to the Empire Magazine article and also the New York Times um, think piece that Martin Scorsese did. Now, hold up. I get it. You're asking me, Nandita. This article came out in 2019. What relevance does this have now? Like, I don't understand. Please explain. I'm sure you have an explanation, but you just, you need to talk me through it, which is fine. Now, Twitter sphere is a, you know, that's, that's a thing. It's, <laughs> it's constantly chatting and talking about things. Um, and now that, you know, we are entering a kind of, hopefully, fingers crossed, post-pandemic, um, world, I want to think about that journey between, you know, pre-pandemic, what was cinema like, you know, post, during pandemic, what was it like, and now post-pandemic, what is, what is the cinematic experience? What is it like? What are we seeing? Is it reminiscent of what Scorsese is saying? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Right? Because, you know, his words may resonate, um, like a, however many years on, what, like three, three or four, probably three. Um, and I think it's important to talk about because he obviously spoke about this, um, this whole, in, 
cinema experience and how he feels about Marvel films way before the um, pandemic had started. So it's interesting to see what the pandemic has done to essentially impact all of his opinions and do they still hold up? Even more so, do they exemplify some of the opinions that they have? But we'll get into that. Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about is the, the defunding of passion projects. And I say that in air quotes. Uh, that Netflix are doing at the moment. So if you haven't seen the um, the newest article about Netflix, essentially saying that they want to defund director-driven passion projects, so approaching a director and saying, hi, we want to work with you, you give, like, you create the idea um, and we'll fund you and we'll have it on our streaming service. And they use, surprise, surprise, Mr. Scorsese's The Irishman as an example of a defunded passion project that wouldn't be able to be made. Um, so we're going to dissect that in itself and its relevance to Martin Scorsese's uh, piece. And uh, finally, a streaming service has won the best picture at the Oscars for the first time ever, right? I will be doing an Oscars 2022 episode, so stay tuned for that. But until then, surprise, surprise, Coda. Coda won. But the surprising thing about it was it was not a Netflix-driven film, which we have been seeing Netflix films uh, being nominated for Oscars time and time again. But suddenly this dark horse emerges, like Apple TV, and they're like, yo, hey, we won. And I want to talk about the ramifications that has had on things. So without further ado, let's actually get started with going through the article and dissecting it piece by piece. So let's start off with one of the first things that I noticed about what he said. He said, many franchise films are made by people uh, of considerable talent and artistry. That is a great thing to clarify because it can also, it can come across very, um, I guess, demeaning to all the wonderful directors and actors and actresses and cinematographers and screenwriters and set coordinators and you know um, costume designers and all of these people who work on these movies it just feels like a big slap in the face to them especially some of these people might even look up to Scorsese himself so it's a great thing to clarify that um, and I don't think he ever intended for it to come across as a as a diss to I guess the people behind it but more so the art form itself um, so that was just one thing that I, I liked that he clarified that but the main thing I wanted to talk about is later on in that same paragraph, he says something like, I know that if I were younger, if I had come of age at a later time, I might have been excited by these pictures and maybe even wanted to make one myself. But I grew up when I did and I developed a sense of films of what they are, what they were and what they could be. As far from the Marvel Universe as we on Earth are from the Alpha Centauria. I don't know what that is, it went completely over my head. But the main point is, he talks about if, if he were younger and he grew up with Marvel films, he might have appreciated them more, but he grew up with a different sense of what cinema is. Now, I kind of understand that argument. I mean, how, how do what I feel about this? I mean, I've grown up with, with Marvel films. I mean, the, some of my earliest memories of the cinema are going to go watch, um, you know, 
Thor and you know um, Avengers like the first Avengers film like those are some of my distinctive memories like coming back in the car ride from the cinema talking about the film being super excited about it um, so I think maybe maybe it has caused a sense of bias in me um, but you know I can understand the whole Marvel argument right so let's let's we, I have to look at it from a non-biased perspective because obviously I'm going to have some form of bias when thinking about Marvel because I have that nostalgia attached to it. But let me put myself in Marty Scorsese's shoes and think about it retrospectively. Retrospectively, early stage Marvel films are very formulaic, right? We, we can't argue this fact. They're very much, here's a superhero and especially for origin stories, especially right? You have a superhero. Superhero is discovering their powers. Villain is the super has the same skill set as superhero and has same abilities as superhero, right? They fight. Superhero wins. They've learned things. Woo. But it's the same. It's literally the same. Iron Man with, um, you know, what's his face? Oh god, I don't remember his name. But you know, the, 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 the guy who was helping him run his company, him, Ob Ob Obadias? Obadias, maybe. That's probably his name. Then you have like, let's skip forward a couple of years, Ant-Man. You have Ant-Man in the yellow jacket, basically the same but evil and like maybe different colours as well. Even Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange had, um, you know, obviously Doctor Strange practice person of the mystic arts and then ah i'm forgetting all the marvel villain names um mads mickelson's character him and then you have oh my god even another example i just thought of like captain america you had captain america one end of the spectrum of taking the superhero uh serum and then um red skull the other end of the spectrum of taking the superhero serum and it's just like yes we get it we get it this is this is your this is the way of um, depicting your origin stories and it becomes a bit boring, repetitive and, as I said, formulaic, um, which I think is the argument that Scorsese presents and I cannot argue with him on that. It is very formulaic and there is only a certain point where you can feel like you've seen it all and you don't really want to, um, you feel like you've seen everything that the, the MCU can do. Now, having said this, I think looking from 2019 to where we are now with in terms of Marvel content, I think we have seen great improvement in creativity and director freedom and um, a lot more interesting uh, storylines, you know? I mean, we've seen it in the likes of, you know, um, the TV shows that have come out. Like, that's the biggest thing that we've seen as a change for the MCU is we have this whole... TV show universe that we are now exploring and, and looking into. We've had things like WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we've had, oh my god, <laughs> I'm forgetting, um, we had Loki, we had um, Moon Knight, you know, we had Hawkeye, and we're getting this exploration of the MCU that, you know, you've created all this world building over however many years the MCU has been going on for, and we still have like touch the surface of the different things we could explore you know we could do like some more 
um, groundwork, less cosmic, less end of the world type of scenario, and more like grounded stuff like Falcon and the Winter Soldier and like Hawkeye. Or you want to go even crazier and more out of the world, go Loki, you know? Um, you want to explore deep emotional traumatic roots, you look at WandaVision and you look at um, Moon Knight and you start to think about what Scorsese says about them being lacking emotional and psychological experiences and I look at it now and I think that is just entirely wrong because what I see the MCU becoming through its TV shows, I see this emotion. We have seen so much grief and loss throughout the entirety of this phase four of the MCU that, you know, we we have yet to, we have not explored at all before. It's always been very brushed off, you know, the whole Captain America, Bucky dying, for example, uh, well, think Captain America thinking Bucky has died, like no weight of that whatsoever, you know, making light of Thor's depression, essentially, after losing half of his people, his brother, his best friend, his father and his mother, all in the space of a few years, like, that to me, right, has shown real growth for um, the MCU, like, doing, showing his depression in a light-hearted way to going to something like someone who's suffering from DID and handling that with such gravitas, so to speak, and um, such eloquence, and, you know, it, just, it's, it sits with me like there has been so much growth since, since, since Endgame uh, that we can't diminish and we can't, you know, factor out because I'm very proud of what I've been watching from some of the MCU shows. I think it's some of Marvel's best and most creative work so far. Um, I can't say the same about the films, um, particularly because next week's episode it's going to be quite interesting. I will be talking about am I getting Marvel fatigue? Uh, so stay tuned for that. I won't touch on it too much in this episode, but that is something to consider. Like, we are we are being overloaded with a plethora of, of content, you know, from from all of from everywhere essentially. We're like, oh yeah, here's like a TV show, and then once that TV show's done, like two weeks later we're starting a new one. Oh, and within that two-week window, we're giving you a film. And it's like slow down because because there's also the expectation of you need to watch every single Marvel film in order to understand everything that's going on and every single tiny reference you know um and you just sit there and you think okay this is a lot and it's a lot to catch up with in a short period of time especially when you want to be exploring other mediums of a film like like myself I want to I, I don't just want to be sitting here and talking about Marvel all the time but it feels like every week I, I could I could sustain sustain this podcast to just talk about Marvel I mean think about it there are there are podcasts like the Weekly Planet I mean that I admire so much uh, love you guys um they they solely go off of Marvel Star Wars and um like DCEU content and it's like that that is insane to think that you have you can sustain two hours worth of content each week talking about everything to do with like comic book movie news that is insane to think about um 
and it, and again that begs the question like as i just mentioned it's not just marvel that does this i feel like scorsese singled out marvel as as the one to talk about because i guess it's the easiest one to throw under the rug because of how successful it is but also how um trope based it is or cliche based it is um but there are other franchises that you know are i guess milking or you know maybe theme parking it up uh, as he says like you have star wars star wars is a franchise star wars is a very successful franchise and you could argue that you know some of the, uh, some of the star wars films are um are reminiscent of theme parks i mean look at it they've got the whole galaxy's edge in disneyland you know you have um the pirates of the caribbean you know that's a franchise um <laughs> is that a theme park ride yes it is i feel like i'm just listing examples that have just turned out to be um <laughs> actual implementations of theme parks because obviously marvel has the um avengers academy in oh god where is it it's the california disneyland and um you know you have the jurassic you jurassic world um franchise that hopefully is coming to a close uh, with this uh, new Dominion one that's coming out um, and you know they have theme park rides and you know it, should it just be Marvel that's being singled out? Um, you know we everyone's grown up with some form of franchise film I find it interesting that Scorsese doesn't bring up Star Wars though because that is an, a perfect example of a franchise film that was around when he was maybe when he was growing up or maybe when he was um, he was uh, around doing stuff and you just think you just think well why why is it different for marvel what why is it specifically he's fixated on this i mean he does mention that other franchise films fall suit to this but it just feels very feels easy to just kind of just kind of talk about marvel i would have loved to see in his argument talking about other franchises uh, but I, I feel he played it safe and was like, I am not going to try and get under more fire and I'm just going to stay safe and not talk about other things, um, other franchise stuff. So, uh, before I go on to talking more about uh, some of the, you know, specific other franchise films other than Marvel, because I do want to, I think it is important to talk about them in uh, the context of this argument considering he doesn't really go into too much detail, so it'd be interesting to go into that. Um, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, directors. Because he does mention a couple of directors in this uh, that he quotes to be, to say that these directors are everything that Marvel is not, essentially. Uh, which is a bold claim, and one that I actually don't agree with too much, right? So I think the, the way I see Marvel... And I, the way I see a lot of franchise films is you you go in and you know what to expect, right? So if I'm going into a Marvel film, I know I'm going to expect, you know, some some comedy. I'm going to expect um, maybe a lot of action. Um, and I'm going to expect a lot of um, CG visual effects. And for me, that is my personal opinion. I don't mind going and watching that. And I know exactly what I'm signing up to when I go in and I go watch it, right? That's like clear, Okay. I think the same argument could be made for pretty much any other director, right? So, well, I okay, maybe not every single director, but Auteur specifically. And I think 
um, Martin Scorsese mentions particular auteurs. Like, you, you see him mention Spike Lee, and you see him mention Wes Anderson. And for those of you who don't know what an auteur is, essentially, they have a specific style of, um, of craft and filmmaking that is so distinctive that as soon as you watched one of their films, you'd know exactly who, who, who's made it. And it just, it angers me, because this point, the point that Scorsese makes is essentially that, like, oh, yeah, um, they can, they, they're, they're theme parks, you know, uh, Marvel films, franchise films, they're theme parks. They're emotionless, and uh, they lack psychological, emotional experiences, right? When I think a way to look at it in a more reasonable and sensible way, as opposed to dissing its entire craft is look at it as, from my perspective of, you know exactly what you're, you're getting yourself into when you walk into that type of film, right? Same with other franchises. Like, for me, I know what to expect when walking into a Lord of the Rings film, for example. I am not actively going to go out of my way to watch them on, like, my own validity. Like, I think I would, if someone wanted me to and we were watching it together, I would probably do that, but it's not something I would sit down and approach by myself because I just don't think. And there's a certain expectation that I have, and it just doesn't seem like for me. It seems reasonable to approach it in that respect. Same with Wes Anderson. When I go into a Wes Anderson, I'm expecting pastel colours, I'm expecting um, outlandish storylines, amazing, like, great, like, camera work and zooms. Um, to add effect to what the character is experiencing and um, same I would say the same with Spike Lee same with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson Ari Aristide say Quentin Tarantino it counts as someone I would I would expect certain criteria of when I go into that film and I just feel like if you if you if you know enough about films um, you you can kind of you kind of can grasp what to expect from certain people when you walk into a specific film or a specific theme, right? And I don't get the whole argument of like, well, they're nothing like a Wes Anderson film, they're nothing like an Ari Arista film. Because if I look at a Marvel film and I see this distinctive, you know, saturation that it has, the CG, the effects, I can, I can visually say, and I can pinpoint that as a Marvel film. So I don't see why it's different for specific specific auteurs to have this respected rule and it's all fine um and it not be okay for for marvel so i i'm not too sure i agree wholeheartedly with his argument with that um i do understand it from a perspective of maybe like repetitive as i mentioned before of the whole repetitive um formulaic probably is a better term to use essentially like narrative so I, that in that respect I can I can understand that but I don't know there's something that bothers me about about that particular statement that I felt like I wanted to address because you know we have for example let's let's bring in uh, Chloe Zhao right directed Eternals absolutely um like a cinematic marvel I I thought <laughs> pun not intended but now it is intended because I realized it was a pun um, and it was just, it was great. I, personally, I absolutely, um, enjoyed, um, Eternals. I know a lot of people didn't like it so much because it was a different style, but think about it from that perspective. It is a different style. It's Chloe Zhao's stamp because, you know, you see her other film, Nomadland, and it's very reminiscent. Like, you could look at that and be like, yeah, that's a Chloe Zhao film. 
And it leaves that mark. It does. Like, if you get the right... If you get the right people involved, it can leave... Not only it's still feeling like a Marvel film, but also give that personal stamp that a director has. So I think it can be done. Um, if we're talking about it from Scorsese's argument, which is like, oh, you know, they, they are nothing like what these directors can do. Well, if a director has proven, like we have Chloe Zhao as the example, right? Why, why can we not, like, why is it not something that um, can continue on? I mean... Sam Raimi is a perfect example as well, actually, with Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Like, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness took... It was basically... Um, had all the incorporated elements of a Sam Raimi film. Um, and I absolutely adored that, because I, I loved this different perspective of camera work, of, of horror, of, of, of narrative unfolding. It felt fresh, and it felt interesting. Um, so... It, it can have that touch, I, 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 I argue. Um, so, you know, I think, um, I think... I think if Scorsese maybe had looked at it f now, like in terms of post-pandemic uh, kind of, or like during slash post-pandemic early, uh, I might think he might have a, a change of perspective on this. Um, but at the time of when it was written, I don't think there was many directors making it with their own stamp I should say as opposed to um just using what they they know from previous source material about uh, Marvel it has to be a balance I think and I think the balance is shaking up the MCU a little bit in terms of its fans it's dividing the fans about whether they enjoyed it or not um but overall, I think it's a step in the right direction. Maybe Feige heard the interview and heard the criticisms of Scorsese and was like, maybe we do need to give directors more creative freedom. And um, that brought about some some interesting and new choices for the MCU, which I, I'm, I'm happy to see personally. So let's, let's hope that that was done as a result of that and maybe Scorsese can change his opinion on you know, saying it's very different from auteur-style filmmaking. Um, but yeah, let's let's circle back. I really wanted to talk more about the other franchise films, but in a real-world context, right? So this is like my little case study that I've done. It's not, it's not big. I've not really done a big case study. It's just more of my observation. So I obviously um, am actually just based in London, but um, I also go to university. And in my university city... I've experienced cinema in two different ways, you know. Um, in London, there is a lot of... Um, what I've found is there are a lot of franchise cinemas. So in the UK, that's Cineworld, Odeon, View, you know, etc, etc. Um, and then um, Central London, not so much the suburbs and outskirts, but Central London has a lot of indie cinemas. Um, like, ooh, that's, <laughs> I'm trying to think of one. There is, oh, I don't remember. Prince Andrews, I think? It's one in Leicester Square, because there's a lot of cinemas in Leicester Square. Um, but yeah, there's like, um, there is a variety, but only in central London, I would say, for indie cinemas. Uh, but it's very accessible to have chain cinemas all across uh, London, and including the outskirts as well. Now the problem is, <laughs> the problem with that is I have found that franchise cinemas are not huge, so they're not big, 
Um, unless they're like the central London ones, in which case they'll have like big IMAX screens and whatnot. Um, but the problem is they only show, surprise, surprise, franchise films. Uh, and when I say only, maybe that's an over-exaggeration, but when I look at it, I see, for example, um, we had Doctor Strange World of Madness obviously come out. That took up in my local cinema in London, it took up about, I want to say, 10 screens per day. And that's a lot. That's like, and when I say screens, 10 showings is probably the correct word. Screens is probably a miss, uh, a miss interpretation. But um, yes, it's definitely 10 showings per day. That's insane. I've seen tweets from in America where they've had showings for like the whole, basically the whole cinema is just showing every single hour Doctor Strange World's Best Madness. And it's just insane because this is exactly what Martin Scorsese says in his, um, in his, in his article. And I will get the exact quote up because it's, it's quite an interesting one. And I think this is one of the few ones that I actually do agree with. Um, so he says, so you might ask, what is my problem? It's fair. We do. We're wondering why you have such a problem with franchise films. Um, why not just let superhero films and other franchise films be? The reason is simple. In many places around this country and around the world, franchise films are your primary choice for if you want to see something on the big screen. It's a perilous time in film exhibition and there are fewer independent theatres than ever. The equation has flipped and streaming has become the primary, uh, become primary delivery system. I still don't know as a filmmaker who doesn't want to design films for the big screen and to be projected before audiences in theatres. So I guess what he's trying to say is cinemas are now becoming just a showcase almost or a show for these big franchise marvels, your Jurassics, whatnot, right? And they're, they're more for that rather than, you know, these filmmakers doing their craft and they're resulting more to streaming, but they don't want to compromise. They don't want to compromise to have, have their, um, their art essentially being confined to a small screen because that, that is now becoming the norm. Um, and I think having looked at it and seen it from that perspective, um, I think that London is pretty bad with the amount of just sheer um, chain cinemas they have. And then also the fact that these chain cinemas just show immense, immense showings of, um, of, of just franchise films. Um, now let's look at it in my university city. As, a, as opposed to London, let's look at my university city. My university city has one major chain cinema. And in the city centre, let's say. Because um, I, I don't really go into the outskirts, mainly just the centre of, 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 of my university city. And they have, in that city centre, so many independent cinemas. So many. Like, more than there is a, a chain cinema in there. So there is more choice for me in my university city, which is a smaller city than London, than I do here where all of the independent cinemas are seen in central London, like centre, centre London. 
which is actually insane, personally. And obviously it's a lot more of a trek to get into central London than it is to get into city centre in my um, university city. It's, it's actually insane. Um, to the point where my university cinema is actually quite big. So the chain cinema uh, in my university is quite big. It's, um, it's got a load of screens and it's actually got an IMAX screen quite local to me, which is insane once again. Um, but they, and they were showing films in that cinema that was bigger, um, the chain cinema, that my, my local cinema at home, back home in London, were just not showing, which was surprising to me as well, because it meant that, you know, it requires a massive, like, a, and I say massive, um, cinema to be able to showcase these other films. So... What, what does that mean, right? It means that films like Drive My Car, films like The Worst Person in the World, you know, films like Everything Everywhere All at Once, I was only able to see at independent cinemas because my, my local cinemas, until, well, until Everything Everywhere All at Once kind of blew up, were not showing these films. And these films, I argue, have been some of my favourites of the year so far, or since whenever it's come out like it's they have been truly incredible cinematic experiences and it's just disappointing because it's exactly what martin scorsese says we're in a time where the primary source that general audiences are going to see is just is just franchise films and i want people i mean the reason why i started this podcast is to get more people to see a different side of cinema as opposed to just seeing you know the the just the franchise films so it disheartens me to see like the the slow decline and like you know maybe seeing one or two showings of a film on a weekday and then weekends just bombarded with with all of the big names and it's it's true it truly hurts because i i i just do agree with him i really do we're seeing a a big decline in cinema as an art form as opposed to the cinema itself. Because cinema as itself, as a form of and source of entertainment, it's not dying. I've seen packed out cinemas for Dune. I've seen packed out cinemas for um, Doctor Strange, for No Way Home. Like, cinemas themselves are not going to die because of these franchise films. But the art form of cinema is going to eventually falter out. At this rate, I mean, come on. Um, like being projected in a cinema, it might move, all these independent stuff might move to streaming, but I think the point is you want to be able to see it on the big screen. One of the best examples I have of this is The Green Knight. I don't know whether you guys remember this, but this is a, this was a film, uh, directed by David something. <laughs> he did, um, a bunch of horror films, I think, before. And um, Dev Patel starred in it, and it was basically based on the King Arthur, like, myth, lore, and whatnot. Um, and I was so excited. I was super, super stoked. It was coming out in cinemas. It was, like, waiting every week to see when is it going to, like, come out for booking, and then I can book it, and I can go watch it. To my surprise, a week before, a week, a week before its release date in UK cinemas, it got pulled. It got pulled and shelved onto Amazon Prime. How many people, and I'm sorry Amazon Prime, but your interface needs some work, like for finding films to be able to watch. But how many people are actively going to watch this film 
on Amazon Prime? I don't think so because your interface isn't doesn't make it accessible to be able to see these that these type of things are an Amazon original and and, and they're they're great. So you're just left with people could have gone to the cinema and gone to go see The Green Knight. And I would have loved to see The Green Knight on the big screen. There are so many films that like from the past that I've wished that I could see on the big screen. Um, like La La Land, I have never seen on a on a on a big screen. Uh, Francis Ha, I would love to see on a big screen. Uh, but that's because it wasn't like I didn't know of it when the time it was out. But I do know that the like I knew of The Green Knight when it was coming out. So it's just so, it's so disappointing that you can't watch it on a big screen. And not everyone has access to, you know, big TV screens or like Dolby Atmos sound to like be able to truly immerse yourself in it. Um, I had that with The Sound of Metal as well. I couldn't watch The Sound of Metal um, in UK cinemas and I had to watch it um, on TV. It was a brilliant film, but I feel like I would have enjoyed it a lot more if I went to go to the cinema and watch it. See? I just feel, I feel like the cinematic experience needs, they, they, there needs to be a push from, from these chain cinemas to take chances on some of these, these other films that are being pushed um, into cinemas and push more marketing for it. I mean, Cineworld, for example, has done some great pushing of marketing for everything everywhere all at once, because I'm seeing filled up cinemas when I went to go watch it at Cineworld. So, you know, there is progress being made, but that's like a one in, and that that took a lot of buzz to even get to the UK because you you American lots had it like for a while. Us Brits, we 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 didn't get it until like maybe a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, which is kind of sad. Um, but why is it? Why do we have to fight harder? You know, it's it's just it feels very hypocritical. Um, but overall, what I'm trying to say is that like. I think Martin Scorsese has a point <laughs> in terms of what he's saying with the way cinema screens itself are being filled with just franchise films. Um, and sure, they are enjoyable and people love them and they're easy to watch, easy to get into. Um, and, you know, they just, people, people love them, I guess, is the, the simplest thing. But we need to start adopting this culture of taking a chance on films that are not tied to 10 other films and two TV shows and one extended mini comic series that, you know, is super niche, but you need to have read it to, in order to understand. I think we need to expand to more just, just independent films, films, just standalone films that, that mean something for that one moment. And that's it. You have that pure memory of that moment. And you're happy with it and you're content. Um, yes, that was my little tangent about that. But let's uh, move on. I wanted to say one thing, though, just to close off this topic about cinemas. The reason why I was inspired to do this episode was the after the release of Top Gun. So Top Gun got released um, and the Scorsese debate was spiralling around on Twitter again. Because this dude uh, on Twitter basically tweeted... Do you guys think that Scorsese's complaint extends to Top Gun being on half the screens at at basically any any cinema theatre that you, that you go to? Or does it just apply to Marvel? I think that it's a great question to pose, but I think looking at it from a wider context, some other quote retweets that I, I saw that were pretty cool were saying that like, oh yeah, well there's a Top Gun movie 
um, taking up screens in the cinema every two to three months. Which is not the case. Top Gun, you know, hasn't been in cinemas since nineteen the 1980s, right? Um, so that kind of, it sinks in that, like, there are two to three, every two to three months, we get a cycle of just floods of people to the cinema for, like, the first week or two weeks of a Marvel release. And then there's just such a lull period after that, you know? It, it makes sense. Like, it, the more I see it from that perspective the more I'm like, Scorsese has a point. He, he's been around long enough to know that he's making a point. Another quote retweet that I saw was, Tom Cruise is one of the last major movie stars to stick to the more traditional methods of studio filmmaking. And I think what the, uh, the author means um, by traditional, less CG, less green screens, actual practical stunts, this, that, and the other. Um, and then they continue to say marvel operates in a way designed to be a monopoly and choke out anything else trying to enter the same space not a double standard because screen count isn't the debate screen count isn't the debate it's more to do with are we getting unique films <laughs> and i would argue for marvel not so much recently for films tv shows i can argue a little bit differently but we're talking about cinema here and i think they are churning out more of the same and they're not really adding anything of value at the moment personally um as harsh as it is to say um but yeah that's that's what inspired me to do this episode it's just a little uh, tidbit but um i do stalk the the film twitter sphere and and have a look at what everyone is talking about at the moment um so the fact that top gun obviously is taking up a lot of the the um screens in and showtimes at loads of cinemas i think it's a good thing because it means that we're getting um we're getting more of an independent film, but we'd like it for more, more just standalone films. Obviously, this has a predecessor. It's got nostalgia fueled for it. Those of people are going out to see it. Um, but I think, you know, we want this for more just stand standalone films. Um, but we'll see. So let's move away from um, his article. There, there is a lot more in his article that he talks about. Um, he talks a lot about Alfred Hitchcock. I can't comment too much about. Alfred Hitchcock because I don't re I haven't really watched much of his stuff so I don't feel like qualified so to speak and I say that in air quotes qualified to speak uh, on that but I will talk about the streaming service stuff because I feel like it's an interesting factor to add to this debate because obviously you know what as I said at the beginning why am I talking about this now well you know Scorsese said this like before a pandemic was even in question so it's interesting interesting to see how that has impacted um, everything. One thing I wanted to talk about is a little bit more about is this the direct results and ramifications of Apple TV winning um, Best Picture Oscar first before Netflix as a streaming service. Now, <laughs> I think the defunding of the passion project, so to speak, um, from Netflix was done as a direct result of the Apple TV win. <laughs> this is just the tea. This is the tea that I'm spilling. Um, I have my little cat mug uh, with me and I'm just like, this is, this, this is the tea. Um, and I think, I think the ramifications are, are pretty bad. So here, here, here goes. Um, Let's first start off, why is it good? Why is it good that, that Coda won? Why is it good that Apple TV won? 
right? We're getting accessibility to less franchise-driven films because that's what we want. We want the art of cinema, so the, the definition, like the artistic definition of cinema, to thrive through and to live, right? And lesser-known directors, directors get skyrocketed um, uh, into, into fame and they get, uh, you know, actors, actresses, cinematographers, score people, um, composers is probably the word I should be using, um, all get skyrocketed into, you know, doing more of the same type of project. Well, not more of the same, but like of the same creativity. And it's it's always a positive thing because it, it means it's more accessible to, to wider audiences, as Scorsese says. However, there is a con, right? You're, we're missing out on this cinematic experience that Scorsese says. You know, we're missing out on, um, you know, going to the cinema, experiencing it in the cinema, you know. A lot of this year's, not this year, yeah, this year's um, Best Picture nominees I watched at home. I, if I get the list up now, hang on, let's actually count. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We have ten. Ten contenders this year, right? I have, of the nine, so I've seen nine of them, and of the nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven of the nine I saw at home. And I probably will watch, because Belfast is the only one I haven't seen, I will probably be watching Belfast at home too. So that is eight of the ten Best Picture nominees I've watched at home. That is so disappointing to me. I would have loved to see all of these films on the big screen. You know, imagine imagine West Side Story on a big screen. I mean, obviously that was because I couldn't make it out to cinemas, but that, a, a lot of people won't, won't be able to make it out to cinemas. And yeah, it's just, it's just disappointing. We're missing out on the cinematic experience for, for these lesser franchise film knowns, but I'm repeating more of the same. Profits. Where are the profits coming from? Um, I feel like, I mean, this might be just be me chatting complete rubbish, but I feel like you filmmakers get more profits when they go to cinemas than they would to selling the rights to streaming sites. I feel like there would be a flat out rate for selling it to a streaming site as opposed to continuous gains of profit from the cinema. That's just saying, oh, are they receiving less profits? You know? And um, a big, big problem that happens with this now is streaming services for the first time in ever, I think, since ever, are now seeing a decline in viewership. And this is specifically for Netflix. They reported for their first quarter of the year, they are they have had like a certain percentage of drop of viewers, uh, subscriptions, I should say. That's a lot actually. For for a streaming service that was thriving, it's a lot of it's a lot of viewers to to have lost. Part of it comes from the rise of subscription costs, this, that, and the other. But Netflix's answer to that is, okay, so we've just lost Best Picture. We've had Marriage Story in the past in the running. We've had Mank. We've had um, The Irishman, you know. And we funded um, Power of the Dog, you know, Netflix exclusive and originals. We're not going to fund these passion projects anymore. That is, it is just so problem. And they use The Irishman by Martin Scorsese. So we're back, we're back on topic. Um, as an example of this, 
Why is this problematic? It's just problematic phrasing. What, to start off with, to be honest, like, you can't, The Irishman was not a passion project. It was a film by a respected filmmaker who knows his craft and wanted to tell this story. That is the same with all respected filmmakers. It's not a passion project. It is it is creativity and art in its in its highest form, personally. I mean, I didn't like The Irishman too much, but I can still respect it as a piece of art because, you know, a lot of time, a lot of money went into it, a lot of um, great actors and great acting is in it. It's just not my vibe of a film, and that's fair. But it's not a passion project. A passion project is a director fully funding it. Um, they don't need to go to anyone else for help. Um, and um, they're doing it for selfish reasons. So they're doing it in a sense that like, like yeah, they're, they're doing it for themselves rather than just for a wider audience. And I do think Scorsese was doing it for a wider audience in my personal opinion. Um, like, I really want these artists to get the respect that they deserve. Because I feel like filmmakers have this reputation of being very arrogant and very full of themselves. Um, and this adds to that stigma, almost. I mean, I can't argue for the fact that all filmmakers are super respectful. I mean, there are some that do feel quite arrogant. But you can't have that label for all of them. And I think this this type of phrasing and this type of like harmful wording kind of only adds to Scorsese's point about cinema dying because they're saying that these respected filmmakers just make passion projects and that's all they do. They're just funneling money into things that no one are gonna, no one's going to want to see but themselves, right? And they're not thinking for a wider audience. Um, and that's, that's just so harmful. It's just, I don't know. Let me know what you think. I just think it's a very harmful way of thinking about it. Um, what does this mean for Netflix going forward? <sighs> right. There is an issue. The issue is, we as a nation, <laughs> um, we really like to hate watch things. Meaning that we get a lot of views and like uh, watching, watchship, I don't know what to call it specifically on Netflix, but um, you know, we watch the things that we know are going to be bad, essentially. Like, The Kissing Booth too. Uh, this is my personal opinion, by the way. I'm not saying that these things are bad, I just think these, they're not my cup of tea. Like. I hate watched Kissing Booths. I hate watched um, He's All That. I like the senior prom. I didn't even touch um, the one with Rebel Wilson. I could not bring myself to do that. Um, then there was the prom with James Corden, which I did watch, and that was a mistake. Um, and I just sit there and I think they probably think that this is what the general public want. This is what they want from, from cinema. And now we're gonna get more of it because no one's watching the the Irishman's or the marriage stories or anything like that on Netflix. They're just they're just watching all the, the other stuff. I'm not saying Netflix don't do great stuff. Stranger Things is incredible. I can't argue that they do some amazing series. But I think they really, really, really screw the pooch all the time with with um with with films i don't know I, I can't remember the last time i saw a good netflix film i mean it was marriage story but other than the passion projects they are said to be funding you know like noah bomback for example who did marriage story he signed an exclusive deal with netflix to do the next couple of films with him 
I would argue he would not be very happy by the statement that Netflix has made and maybe he wants to move after the one that he's doing white noise with them. He would just not want to do it anymore with them, which I, I would completely respect him for uh, after after this um, after this move. Well, what is this? What, why is this good? Why is it bad? It's good because maybe this means we can get a shift from these filmmakers trying to appeal to streaming services and have them just go straight back to cinemas. That might be great. It might it might save the fact instead of having domination of like a Marvel film every two months, we have some more unique and independent films. I think that'd be great. Um, why is it bad? Just inaccessible inaccessibility to wider audiences because um, they're just not going to be on there. And the stigma created um, about filmmakers. And I think, you know, a filmmaker truly views their audience uh, above everything else. They know what, what they want from, from their audience and they know what emotions they want to evoke in them. And I think we should maybe move away from this arrogant persona of filmmakers and directors um but overall what do I think what do I think about this whole shtick what do I think about um you know films in general and the Scorsese debate with Marvel films I think he makes a lot of good points I think you know we're at a time where we're seeing a rise in we're seeing a rise in franchise films just dominating I mean literally this week Jurassic World Dominion comes out you know the amount of episodes I've done on franchise films you know I've done so many on the DCEU I've done it on the MCU I've done it uh on the the Fast and Furious franchise you know I was even considering maybe doing one on the Pirates uh I my first ever episode of the podcast was Star Wars Franchise films are a lot of people's gateway into cinema, right? And I respect that because it led me to where I am today. However, I would really, really appreciate if we gave the microphone, we gave the spotlight to some of the more independent films. It's going to be hard because it involves changing an entire culture of film watchers. That means you listening as well. So I would really, really appreciate if you go out and go see some of these incredible independent films yourselves in cinema, if you get the opportunity to. Go see everything everywhere all at once. That's incredible. I think we should, we should, it's accessible in um, chain cinemas as well. Go see everything everywhere all at once. Go see Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick if you're a nostalgia um, fiend, I guess. Go see drive my car, go see, go to your, go find an independent cinema. If you've never been to an independent cinema, find an independent cinema and find one that plays old films. I know the Prince Charles in London does. And I'll definitely be going uh, in my summer to go see some old films on a big screen. Um, and I guess my biggest takeaway from this is to appreciate going to see some more um, independent films and cinemas as opposed to franchise films. I will still continue to go see franchise films so long as I love them. And I still haven't felt fatigued enough to be like, this is it, I'm done, I'm throwing my hat in the ring, I can't do this anymore, kind of thing. So until that day comes, I will still continue to watch franchise films. Um, but my plea to you guys is go, go, go see some more, go see some more films.
Um, they're open. Things are starting to open up. So go. Enjoy. <laughs> and with that being said, let's move on to the infamous segment of the show, The Recommend, or To The Back End. It's been six months, over six months, and I have watched so many films. Um, I kind of got to a point where I felt like I was just watching films for the podcast as well, so I felt like taking a break from just taking watching films for the sake of a podcast episode um, was taking over my life. So I'm now happy that I've like gotten back into it and got and into the swing of enjoying things. Um, if you want to see what I've been watching in the time that I've been away, my letterbox account is always available to have a look at it's underscore nandita underscore i think gosh it's been so long that i've forgotten my own letterbox username it's maybe underscore nandita underscore we'll see have a go (laughs) um but i've seen a lot of films um but the two that i want to mention because they mentioned something about going to the cinema alone because that's something i've been doing a lot more uh, making the active effort to go and have a cinematic experience by myself um, I might be doing an episode on it, so stay tuned for that, so I won't go into too much detail. However, I have a recommend, and I have a To The Back End. So my To The Back End is kind of a controversial one, because it's not, it doesn't really match with everyone else that I've been seeing on Letterboxd. I've been seeing, like, everyone raving about this film. Fair enough. I just don't think it was my cup of tea. It was X. So, for those of you guys who don't know what, uh, don't know what the film X is about, it's essentially about a group of people in you know, an older time period, I don't remember, 70s, 80s maybe, um, where they are filming an adult film and um, they do it on this, like they film it on this ranch place that has like a creepy old man and woman um, and things unfold and it's just very, it's very body horror, I would say a little bit body horror, very slasher film also. Um, very uncomfy scenes a little bit too. Um, so there's definitely some trigger warnings there, which is probably why I felt very uncomfortable going to the cinema and watching that by myself. I feel like if I watched that with someone else, I would have felt maybe a bit better, but it was still an experience for me, uh, I will say. Um, so that is why it is to my back, uh, it is a to the back end. I watched it when it came out in cinemas. I'm not sure what the status of it is for streaming services but definitely do check it out i mean i've i've heard great things about it from other people which is why i went out to go watch it but obviously it just wasn't my thing so ultimately it's a back end from me however my front end oh my gosh i am so excited top gun maverick i already spoke about it i kid you not i was not gonna watch this film i am not a tom cruise um apologist i do i would throw that man under the bus quicker than any actor i i literally any actor i know uh as if i knew them personally no i I mean just like no of right (laughs) um but he literally i just i'm not a big fan my parents were like this was our childhood you can't call yourself a film nerd if you don't go and watch top gun maverick and i was like guys please i don't want to do this um 
And then lo and behold, I go. I actually go and I watch this film. But I watch the first one um, literally... How many days? It was two days before I went to go watch the original. And I kid you not, it was a cinematic experience. I watched it day of release. I was like, it was a <laughs> funny story. It was, I watched it straight after my last exam at uni. So my last exam was on that Wednesday. Started at two, finished at four, film started at 5.30. I was out those exam doors, running straight to my cinema. And um, I watched it and I was just, it was the best end to exam season. Being alone, watching Top Gun Maverick, insane experience. The soundtrack, the cinematography, you know, we, we get Tom Cruise back doing Tom Cruise Maverick stuff. We have a new group of pilots. We're following their journey because they have to complete a mission. And it's not a rehash of the old one at all. It has that right balance of nostalgia and also thinking about you know, these new, these new characters, and ah, oh, it was great. I don't normally say this, but like about a Tom Cruise film, I, I would be, yeah, literally, it was just so insane. It's still in cinemas at the moment, so definitely, I implore all of you, watch the first one. Um, I think the first one is available to rent on um, Amazon Prime in the UK. I'm not sure about other countries, but do please go and watch Top Gun and then go watch Maverick um, and then just have a great time. I saw it twice in cinemas, once by myself and once with my dad and both times were just incredible. That final act gives you just so much adrenaline, so much, like the action is just incredible. And I think um, I sat there and I was like, cinema's back baby. And that was like so cringe of me to think, but I, I was sat there like, yes, this is great. I love this. Um, also very obsessed with the soundtrack, um, Lady Gaga, One Republic, and uh, Danger Zone, the original, like, oh, just incredible, amazing. Um, but yes, definitely go check that out. So we have reached the end of the episode. It's flown by, guys, it's flown by, and, it's, and I've only just been back. Um, but thank you guys for being so patient. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, we're getting more regular um podcast episodes i'm not leaving you hanging for another nine six to nine months i will not do that again um but i have more interesting episodes lined up i'm thinking about doing a uh a study into um cinema as i mentioned before um going to the cinema alone and what that experience is like i'm thinking of doing a, an episode on actor stan culture which i think would be an interesting uh dissection to go through um, and then also my next episode, as I mentioned already once again in the episode, is going to be about have I got Marvel fatigue? Um, I didn't want to spoil too much about what my actual opinions of whether I do have Marvel fatigue or not is within this episode. So I tried to, tried to keep it as vague as I, I possibly could. But do stay tuned for that because I will be talking about all of the Marvel films that I haven't covered on a specific podcast episode and all the TV shows too in that one episode basically explaining whether or not I do have Marvel fatigue. So definitely do check that out. Um, so if you guys want to keep updated with the podcast, please do go on to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast, and give it a cheeky little subscribe or follow there. That way you are notified every time I have an episode come out. Uh, if you guys are only following and being notified on there, you're just gonna see a random pop-up of like, hey, Diesel Dieter is back after nine months, can you believe it? 
um, which will be, will be which will be fun to see. But if you do follow on the socials, which I know a lot of you do, um, but if you don't, at Deets with Dita on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I already mentioned and plugged my letterbox, so do check that out if you want to see what films I'm watching on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and I guess that's it for this week's episode. Um, I will be releasing the next episode in two weeks, so as I mentioned, uh, this is now becoming a bi-weekly until uh, I figure out whether I'm going to have a YouTube, and then if I have a YouTube it will come monthly, mainly because I want this to be a very discussion-y, research-y based um, kind of thing. So, um, yeah, thank you guys so much, and I will see you all.